I do want to introduce the gainers to you uh, right now because I think we have three boys that would love to be off in children's church and not listening to me preach again. They've already heard one sermon from me. So John and Jenny and Alex and Jonah and Isaac, if you would stand up so we can see you, give you a hand. Uh, I think these three boys might be giving you candy afterwards, too. They like to hand out candy. So, And, and their little sister, Lauren, I believe, is upstairs. So a wonderful family. We're going to show a video of them a little later on about their work. So boys, you may head off that way and go and see Robin. Is that all right? Okay, thank you. <laughs> John, you need to hear this, so stay, get, come back, all right? No, I just... <laughs> okay, uh, I know some of you have noticed that Casey's been preaching a little more, and I just want to kind of let you know what's going on here. I am preaching three times a month. He's preaching once a month, so 75, 25% percentage. And then on fifth Sundays, who knows? It might be him, it might be someone else that's preaching. And uh, so he preached the last Sunday of May and then the first Sunday of June. Now I get the rest of June, and then he'll preach once in July, and they're like that. So James 1 is our text today. If you have that, turn to that. Two weeks ago, Casey preached on part of this text about the mirror, and I want to touch on that uh, again. So if you have your Bibles, look at this, and it'll be on the screen. Chapter 1, verse 23. It says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, what's this mirror that James is talking about? Verse 25 says, whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom, that is the word of God. That's the mirror. And when we look at scripture, at the word of God, and in particularly here in James, it reflects back to us some areas that we need to look at in our own lives. The reason you look in the mirror is to do what? See how pretty you are for some of you vain people. Or how ugly you are for the rest of us. When I look in the mirror, I keep thinking, I is ugly. Someone showed me a picture of myself this morning at first service. I said, I don't look like that. I'm, I'm a lot better looking than that. And I told him to change the picture. But anyway, my body's not pretty. It's depressing. It's not getting any better. Have you seen these lists that start out, you're so ugly that? Heard that? This is not for any of you. This is for me. You're so ugly when you walk into the bank, they turn off the cameras. You're so ugly, when you go to a haunted house, you come out with an application. You're so ugly, when you were born, they put tinted windows on your incubator. You're so ugly, when you were born, the doctor took one look at you and slapped your parents. And if ugliness were bricks, you'd be the Great Wall of China. Ooh. But the main reason you look in the mirror really isn't to see how pretty or ugly you are. It's really self-evaluation, to examine yourself so you can improve yourself. You never look in the mirror. Uh, if you never do look in the mirror, you'll never see how you look. You'll never be aware of that dirt spot, that, that spot of dirt that's on your cheek or that parsley that's in your teeth. And so James says, you need to be in the Word. That's the mirror for your life. Let this book reflect back on you and let, let it help you see some things about yourself. And then James says, if you do look in the mirror and ignore what you see, you, know, you got a hair out of place or a zit that needs to be squeezed and you don't do anything about it, is that gross? Okay, sorry. You don't do anything about it. That doesn't do any good either. So let this mirror motivate you. Let the word of God motivate you to look at some things and God can fix some things in your life. That's what this whole series is about. Last week, Casey talked about James uh, being about maturity. 
And one of the primary ways to maturity is let this mirror expose some things. Now, James' audience are scattered Christians throughout the Roman Empire, and he want, wants them to reflect on how they're going to respond to mistreatment. Because they were being, many of them were being persecuted. Some of the persecution was overt. Some of them uh, were experiencing more subversive um, persecution. They were paying a price to follow Jesus. So James starts out the book talking about trials and temptations and trusting God and seeking God's wisdom when those trials and those times of mistreatment come. And you may be mistreated. In fact, you will be mistreated. That's just part of life. You may be on the wrong end of a false accusation or an innuendo or some injustice or some hurt. And there's a variety of responses you can choose. You can retaliate. You can seek revenge. You can suppress it. You can explode. You can get depressed. James says, ask God for wisdom, first of all. And now in our text, he's going to be a little bit more specific. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. One reaction to mistreatment, and probably the most common, get mad. Now, I've preached on anger before. And I continue to be amazed at how pervasive and how destructive it is in so many lives. The number one complaint by women about their husbands is anger. You know what the number one complaint by men about their wives is? Her anger. We live in an angry world that seems to be getting angrier. Jesus tied it to murder in his Sermon on the Mount. In Atlanta, Georgia, a two-year-old toddler was shot through the neck by an irate motorist engaged in an argument over a road incident with the toddler's father. We hear about road rage all the time and air rage. And of course, we have school shootings and shootings of cops. It's mostly because of anger. And one of the temptations when we get hurt, get offended, is to get angry. And when the early church was being persecuted, there was a temptation to retaliate. This just seems to be the natural thing. Now, there's a book called Kiss That Frog that's recommended to me by someone in the church. And it's a really good book with an odd title. But the author says that anger is the ultimate negative emotion. And he says, and I, if you think about it, it's true. All fear, doubt, jealousy, envy, resentment, any, any negative emotion eventually, if it's not dealt with, will turn into anger. So if you have fear or doubt or jealousy, envy, resentment, you don't deal with it, you will become angry. And then it also says in that book, all unhappy people are angry because either you're depressed or out of control or something else. Now, sometimes people are angry, and they don't even know it. It's just so, so much a part of their DNA and makeup. They've just gotten used to having an angry lifestyle. And sometimes it can come out in the form of whining. Someone said whining is anger through a small opening. Or some other way you can have anger. So when we have an injustice to us, the natural thing is to become anger. Some, some of you don't struggle with this. Some of you have this phlegmatic personality. You can't understand why people get so angry. It is estimated that there's about 20% of you that have that kind of personality. So you can take a nap today for the first half anyway. You don't have to worry about it. Because you just aren't going to get angry. But then there's another 20% way on the other end of the spectrum that really have a problem with anger. And the rest of the 60% are somewhere in between those two poles. So about 80% have some issue with this. James says, our anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. We will never have the positive influence in this world or with anyone else in a positive way if we have anger. Um, you remember the Disney movie, Beauty and the Beast? 
the beast needs to win Baal's love to save the kingdom. And the beast's biggest issue, you must control your temper. And he screams at Baal in anger in the early part of the movie, go ahead and starve. And everyone knows that the beast will never win Baal's affection with anger. His anger is powerful, but it's also weak. So if you see an angry man or angry woman, you're seeing a weak man or woman. And I wonder, as I was getting this ready, how many came to church this morning mad at someone? How many are mad at the one they came with? We praise the Lord and worship and commune together and pray and then carry resentment, fight on the way home. It's not the righteous life God desires. Almost always, when you feel like you've been mistreated, you're just going to be tempted to get mad. Now, there is a place for anger in the Christian life. Some things should make us angry. Paul said, hate what is evil. The prophets spoke sometimes in anger. Jesus got angry. You know, when we see kids abused, we ought to be mad. Uh, Seeing injustice, people going to an eternal separation from God, that ought to upset us. So anger can be an act of love. If your child steps out into traffic, you may get angry because you love them. And you don't want them to get hurt. But James, James says, you be slow. You be careful when it comes to this emotion. I ran across another concept in preparing for this, and I had to think about this for a minute, but it says the root cause of anger is blame, blaming yourself or others or your circumstances. And it also says the moment you stop blaming, that negative emotion stops. It's like turning off a light switch. And the book says you can short-circuit negative emotions almost instantly with one simple but powerful decision, and that is to accept responsibility for that emotion. Simply say the words, I am responsible for this reaction, this anger, this grudge. There's a law that says your mind can only hold one thought at a time. No one can multitask, not in your mind. You can only hold one Emotion, one thought at a time. You can hold a positive emotion of personal responsibility or you can hold a negative emotion of anger or blame, but you cannot hold both. And the choice is always up to you. So stop the blame game and you can stop the anger. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. I've done that. When I've lost my temper, I've been an idiot. And I act like one and I speak like one. Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered man does foolish things. And how many people have done things in anger they deeply regret and sometimes regret for the rest of their life? 29, 11 says a fool gives full vent to his anger, but wise men, a wise man keeps himself under control. Now, that's just part of the equation here. Be slow to anger. Right after, he, he also says be slow to speak. Uh, when you're angry and you say something or send an email, almost always you're going to regret it. If you wait before you say something, be slow to speak. So often you'll find out this thing that really makes you mad isn't that big, isn't that important, and isn't so urgent. And so if I just wait, if I'm slow to speak, I can solve or avoid a lot of problems. Proverbs 29 says, Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 10:19: When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And later in James 1:26, he says, If you're unable to restrain your tongue, your religion is worthless. So, heavy words here. Instead of quick temper and quick tongues, then he gives the third bar, be quick to listen. One of the best tools of building relationships is a listening ear. Husbands, you want your wife to love you? Just listen. It's really pretty simple. Parents, you want influence with your kids? Might help to listen. Kids, you want to influence your parents? Listen to them. 
In the book, The Five Love Languages, the average person listens for 17 seconds before interrupting. President Franklin Roosevelt got tired of smiling, that big smile, and saying all the usual things at White House receptions. And so one evening, he decided to do an experiment. He decided to find out if anybody is really paying attention to what he was saying. And, and as each person came up with their extended hand, he flashed his big smile and said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And people would automatically respond with, oh, how nice, good job, keep up the good work. Nobody listened to what he was saying except for one foreign diplomat. And when the president said, I married, murdered my grandmother this morning, the diplomat responded softly, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> When's the last time someone said to you, you are really a good listener? I have never seen anyone who's more interested to know my world and listening to me. Anyone say that about you? Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. One of the best ways to raise the love quotient, just listen. Now, there may be a reason we have one mouth and two ears. James says, get rid of the moral filth that is so prevalent, verse 21. Now, when I think of moral filth, and when you do, I think probably think of sex and pornography and extortion and drugs and Illinois politics, things like that. But here's a rule of interpretation. You look at the context. He's not talking about sex and drugs and extortion. The moral filth he's talking about is anger and your tongue out of control. That's what makes us dirty and unacceptable, God. And he said, it is so prevalent. Your temper is what makes you morally filthy. And then in verse 21, here's the key. Here's the solution. Humbly accept the word planted in you. Instead of living by angry words, live by God's word. Psalm 119, 11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? You know this. Thy, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I can tell when I'm not in the word. My tongue, my temper, they just get worse. When I am reading the Bible and I'm putting words like James 119 into my mind, God reminds me, the Holy Spirit works in me, His Word is in me, He convicts me about my temper, my tongue, and my words, and it transforms me. The Bible is like a mirror. It shows you, here, here's some things you need to work on. It'll give you some insight into your own life. And so James says, let this mirror, let this Bible be implanted in you. Let it take root in you. Let it, uh, look into it intently. Now, if I were to outline this message in another way, number one is be slow to anger. Number two, be slow to speak. Three, quick to listen. Fourth, let the word be implanted in you. But then there's one more, verse 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word. Listening's not enough. So, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, doing the word, they will be blessed in what they do. So listening is not enough. Listening is critical, but obedience is the goal. And we think of Bible knowledge sometimes just in cerebral terms. You know, you know, you know I've learned it because I came and listened to a sermon about it. James says, don't deceive yourself. That's a trick of the mind. It's like looking in a mirror and walking away, immediately forgetting what we saw because we haven't really done anything about it. We haven't really learned it. So we come and hear a sermon. We hear a lesson about unselfishness. And we think about unselfishness. We, we pray about it. We admire it. And then we assume, well, I must be less selfish now because I've, I've, I've dealt with it in my head. No, 
Or we hear uh, this phrase, quick to listen. Well, now I'm a quick, good listener because I heard a sermon on listening. No, you have to do it. And then the last verse of this chapter doesn't seem to fit. It says, religion that God our Father accepts is to look after orphans and widows and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. It actually does fit because it's saying real religion is doing something, visible action. The only history book of the church is not called the book of truth or the book of knowledge or the book of hearing. It's called the book of Acts. And it was the acts of the church that changed the world. They were doing the gospel, not just sitting and listening to sermons. So James points to two sides of maturity in this section, two things we must do. One is the personal holiness, and that's the slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen, personal transformation and growth, some things in your own issues that you have to deal with. But then the second side of maturity, I'm going to call it social holiness, caring for the marginalized, for orphans and widows. And if you only do one without the other, you're not having maturity or holiness. Some people care for others and they have a heart for others, but they cannot control themselves. And then there's other people who can control themselves, but they don't care for others. They have this private holiness. You have to have both, personal and social. Love God and love people. And in the early church, that's exactly what they did. They lived the word in their personal lives and in their social lives. So do not merely listen. Do what it says. Now, I can't be faithful to this text without asking you to do something after this. We can't just listen to the sermon and go away and looking in a mirror and forgetting. So I have at the bottom of your outline, what will you do? And I put a blank there, and I'm not going to tell you what to put in that blank. You decide. What will you do based on this text? Specifically, what will change because of this mirror of James 1? The mirror that's reflected back to us, you know, uh, will you walk away from this and continue the same old pattern of anger, uncontrollable tongue, and poor listening skills? You can ignore those around you, or... Well, something, what will you do? I'm going to give you a few options, and you may not do any of these three, but I want you to do something. One would be memorize a passage and get God's word into you. I try to memorize texts that are my weakness. <laughs> There's a whole lot of them. But one of my weaknesses is I have a tendency, not so much now as I used to, to argue. And so years ago, early in my ministry, I memorized don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because I used to. And it goes on and says, because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. And the Holy Spirit reminds me of that verse when I'm tempted to argue. And it's been, been planted in my mind. And that word is in there telling me not to be quarrelsome. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Say that with me. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. You can memorize that if that's a problem with you. Second option more generally, just be in the Word consistently. I can't think of a more practical way for you to grow in Jesus than this. James says, accept the Word. Look intently into the Word. Let the Word be implanted in you. You can't accept it and do these things if you're not reading or listening to it. It's on your phone, or at least it can be on your phone, so you can pull it up anytime. And it can be life-changing. Or get involved in Sunday school or a small group or even teach Sunday school. Make a decision to do something to take that next step in your growth. And then third, just general suggestion, commit to doing the word in some specific way. Uh, maybe to showing compassion to a neighbor or an associate. James talks about orphans and widows. Maybe you're considering foster care or adoption or uh, helping a widow neighbor. Uh, 
helping down at Vonderly, become a servant to someone who needs it, maybe get involved in some ministry here, help with VBS. What is one specific way I can do the word this week? If anger is one of your issues, I have a file full of helps to overcoming anger and changing that rut that has become such a habit in your brain. Now, most people say, I know I need to, I know, I, and never do it. They look in the mirror and walk away and don't do a thing. They got a big fat zit and just let it sit. And everyone sees the zit and it is ugly. So make a decision to do something about it. Matthew 7, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. They both hear. They both sit in church. The difference is one does it and the other does not. Be wise. I read about a Nigerian woman who is a physician at a teaching hospital here in the United States. In her Ni Nigerian name is so long and complicated, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But when she was asked what it means, she said it means child who takes the anger away. And when she was asked why she was given that name, she said, my parents had been forbidden by their parents to marry each other, but they loved each other so much that they defied family opinions, and they got married anyway. And for several years, my parents were ostracized by both sides, both families, and they were shut off. And then my mother became pregnant with me. And when the grandparents held me in their arms for the first time, the walls of hostility came down. And so they named me child who takes the anger away. Jesus was born in a manger, and he is the child who can take that anger away. He will do that for you. He can do that for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this mirror. And thank you for the clarity your word gives and the revealing nature. Thank you for its wisdom. And I pray that this word will infiltrate our minds. It will be implanted in our hearts and that it will fill us with your wisdom and your way and your desire and your spirit in us. Help us all to be slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen, and to care for orphans and widows and anyone who's in need. Make us holy. Make us mature. We ask this in Jesus' name.